Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the podcast, and we're in a car driving right now, and next to me driving is Chris Pruse. Say hello, Chris. Hello, Chris. And who are you? <laughs> uh, my name is Chris Pru. Uh, you may have, well, if you've listened to this podcast regularly, we recorded a podcast several weeks ago about a documentary I made about... Um, restoration of the floodplain of Tunnel Brook in the western part of the White Mountains. So I guess I'm a, I'm a media maker. I'm a filmmaker. He runs the, uh, the Chris Pru Media Empire. And, and so this we'll put another link up on fishnurse.com with this Tunnel Brook video. But we decided to make a trip out, as promised, to revisit Tunnel Brook and see if the brook trout habitat restoration has worked. So we're on the way there. What are your concerns today, Chris? Uh, number one, that we make it. We're driving in a uh, 2005 Honda CRV. We, I don't think we're going to hit 200,000 miles on this trip, but my odometer is pretty darn close. That's at 199,275. So we can totally roll that today or roll the car. <laughs> yes, I don't think we'll quite hit the mileage, but we might roll the car. Uh, concerns today, though, we're driving the Kank right now. If you hear the background noise, that's the loud car. Yep, just a quick background the, uh, the Kankamagas Highway is one of America's scenic byways. Uh, name, name for whom? Uh, name for uh, Chief Kankamagas, who was <laughs> the last Sagamon of the... No, I'm sorry, that was his father, Pasa Conway. Uh, his grandfather was Pasa Conway. Kankamagas was known as the Fearless One, and he was the one who finally led his tribe uh, out of New Hampshire into Canada. He was the one who basically conceded, yeah, these white men are not going to change their ways. Let's get out of here. And he was right. Yes, he was right. Good for him. In fact, not only did we not change our ways, we got worse, if that's possible. So, so that's, uh, they they named this road after him, the Kankamagas Highway. We're driving that today. And, uh, you know, I'm just worried, Clay. Uh, this is my type of adventure. I'm not sure if it's yours, so I don't want to hear any complaining after we're done. Yeah, and we will. There will be plenty of complaining. What Chris is referring to is he likes to fish in places that are impossible to find, really hard to get to and don't have any fish so that's where we're heading today but uh, just a quick background tunnel brook road was washed out by hurricane irene how many years ago 2011 
was when it happened. August of 2011, it's 2017 now, so that put it at, what, six years ago, mm -hmm. if my math is correct. And the, the basically, Tunnel Brook is just a traditional, a, a regular mountain stream in the White Mountains, what you see everywhere. Uh, water's draining off the mountains through a notch, and it collects in a stream, and it eventually empties, and I don't even know where it empties, I think probably into the Ammanusik River somewhere, or into a larger river anyway. Um, the story with Tunnelbrook Road was that this is a, 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 a traditional Forest Service road. It was built in the probably late 1800s, early 1900s, when all of this land that is now National Forest was privately owned by logging companies. And back then, they didn't care about uh, conservation or anything. They just wanted to put a road in as fast and as uh, cheaply as they could. So they built a logging road right next to the river, uh, clear-cut everything and get out of there. So the Forest Service inherited this road when it uh, became National Forest back in around 1918. And what they've done is, you know, every so often this road washes out because it's it's designed poorly. And what they do is they just put it back the way it was. So they fix it. They bring in fill and gravel and they, they put it back the way it was. So people who enjoy the road for walking or hiking, uh, some people use it to get to the Mount Musilock Trail. Uh, they put it back the way it was so people don't complain. Well, in, 19, in 2011, when the hurricane came and washed it out really badly, they said, you know what, maybe this isn't a good idea to keep sinking money into something that's just going to get more and more expensive to repair. So they decided to do the opposite. They, they, uh, they restored the floodplain. They decommissioned the road. And the, the goal was, was to get this river functioning the way it was, uh, way nature intended it to. So... Uh, they ripped out all the culverts of all the little tributaries that flowed under the road. They ripped the road apart. They tried to restore the natural organic material instead of having all um, gravel and fill there. And they put some uh, root wads and large stones near the river to kind of uh, help prevent erosion, create better trout habitat so that the main goal, if, if this is all working and the, the natural uh, floodplain is, is working the way it should, You'll know because the uh, the litmus test is the trout. We'll have a natural reproducing population of wild brook trout in there if everything goes well. If everything goes well. And the, and the great thing about the two of us going out here today is um, how scientific this experiment is. <laughs> uh, we are two of the best anglers New Hampshire's ever seen. And so if there are trout there, we will catch them. We don't need electroshock. We don't need science. We need our fishing rods. What what kind of gear are you using today? Well, I brought my um, my light spinning rod, and uh, I like to use either spinners or you. You actually got me onto the um, the trout magnets, which look like little rubber maggots. Mm -hmm. uh, those seem to work well. I also did bring my fly rod. I I, I love to fly fish. Uh, it's tough to do though in places that are not fly fishing only. Like if it's fly fishing only, then I feel good because I know I have no other alternative than to use my fly rod. When it's not fly fishing only, I'm always thinking I could be catching a fish some other way. Um, some more effective, more effective way. way with a spinner or yeah. something like that. Our fly fishing fans don't like when we say this, but uh, I, I, would, I would pit myself against a, a great fly angler anytime with spinning gear in, a, in, in an open situation. It really depends. For me, it's it's Murphy's law. It's whatever I'm using is is the, is the wrong thing. Because I've been fly, I've been uh, spin fishing plenty of times where there's been a hatch and you can see fish rising and you can't catch them because they're just you know they're hooked on whatever's hatching. And so I'm like, if I had my fly rod, 
I'd be I'd have a much better chance. So. But if you had your fly rod, you would be casting wrong. You'd be yes. doing something else wrong, and you'd be failing anyway. So. I don't know. Uh, but I, I appreciate the art of fly fishing, and I wish I was better at it. And I think if I were, I would not be so down on it all the time. I did fly fish a lot this summer, though. It's fun. And all you need is a couple of successes, and then you really you really enjoy it. Yeah, I still never caught a trout on a fly. I've caught pretty near every other kind of fish, but not trout. Uh, I have caught, a, I've caught several trout on a fly rod, some nice ones, too. And once you once you get those nice fish, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty addicting game changer and I, and I think all I do is I would this year I was determined to, to like marry my fly rod and make fly fishing what I did all summer and the lack of success very quickly pushed me back to spinning fishing so terrible and terrible start this year never get married it ruins a relationship <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm not gonna have any comment on that <laughs> so we just not got on the downside of the Kankabongas Pass yeah. and we're heading down to Lincoln New Hampshire and uh Stay tuned. We're going to be checking in as we get this trip going, and we're going to bring their equipment with us fishing, and we'll do some live reporting from from the river. So uh, stay tuned. Okay, so we are just about to get on to Tunnel Brook Road. We just went right past it, right? We went right past it. I don't know why you're whispering. Um, the foliage is actually coming out. It looks, it's a beautiful day. Moose crossing next three miles. This is this is my type of adventure. And Clay's getting his first look at Tunnelbrook. Clay, what's your first impression? It, there's no water in it. <laughs> we're at the downstream section of uh, Tunnelbrook, and we're about to turn on Tunnelbrook Road right now, which goes for a while as a paved road and then turns into a gravel road. Yeah, let me just describe this river. Uh, imagine not a river anymore. <laughs> Imagine a dried out riverbed with a trickle of water. Although, although looking at it, it is clear water, lots of gravel, and lots of big flat rocks in there. It does look like brook trout habitat to me. This, this is the type of fishing I love because you just, you hike a river like this and you, there are only a few habitable spots for these fish. So you hunt them down, you hunt out the spots, and you say, okay, if a fish is gonna be anywhere within this section, it's gonna be right there. You cast to that section, and it's you feel like you won the lottery, or you feel like a major, you know, sleuth, like a, a detective when you actually land a fish. You're like, oh, I knew it all along. We drove an hour to catch a fish yes. we can catch in our backyard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna get up this road here, and we're gonna pull in. Uh, we did stop uh, at a local convenience store to go to the bathroom. Found the hottest water in New Hampshire, and then. Uh, <laughs> and then we bought, just in case our lures and flies aren't working, um, we did buy some worms. So we are hedging our bets on flies and on lures, but if nothing else is working, we will. We are not afraid to use a worm. We're getting close. We're going to have to do a little bit of hiking, I think, to get to some good spots on the river, but uh, I'm looking forward to this. I'm getting excited. I am too, and I'm anxious to get out of the car too. I feel a little sick. Oh, jeez. Should we open the window? <laughs> we should probably. All right. Checking back in. All right, well, we just parked and we are walking on what used to be Tunnelbrook Road, now just Tunnelbrook Trail. And you can see right here, it's wide. You can see how a car used to pass. We can see, this is an audio show. Right, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm hoping you can see Clay. Uh, but just up ahead, you can see, or we can see where it narrows into a trail. And this is where they've started all the work to uh, decommission the road. And they had engineers design a plan to keep the riverbed 
uh, <laughs> kind of off the trail. But there's no water. <laughs> there's no water. Well, this is, it is at, we're walking past an absolutely dry culvert oh right now. God, and this so is what, ripped. this is what they call riprap. This is yes. one of the few sections where they actually did make a kind of a stone embankment, a bunch of boulders <laughs> put together to keep the water from really uh, eroding this trail because if this trail right here gets eroded, you can see up to our right, it's nothing but steep mountain. There'd be no place to walk. There'd be no place to walk. So this is the one place where they do want to keep the river from kind of doing what it wants to do naturally. So at least there's a footpath for us to get by. And now it's like down to like one lane. We got to like walk in front of each other. I'm behind you, Clay, now. <laughs> All right. So, and, and we're coming down and we're actually walking in the dry riprap bed right now, trying to find water. So this area right here, this, so this whole area that we're walking used to be a road. And it's hard to imagine that now because it's all dry riverbed channel. And what had happened that over the years is the Forest Service had repaired this road over and over from washouts. They put more gravel in, more fill. and But at the same time, the river is growing in height because it's washing out more sediment is flowing into the river. All the gravel and fill that they used to build the road, that goes into the river. So the river itself is getting higher and it got to the point where the river was at a higher elevation than the road so it's very easy you have one embankment wash out and all of a sudden the river is flowing into the road and the road becomes the river so that's what happened here uh it's obviously dried out since and the it's just a, a dry river channel but we're about to get into the main river stem right now and we're about to see where they've done a lot of trout habitat uh, building, putting in the root wads, the boulders, and hopefully we'll find a, a pool or two. Well, I hope so. There is, there is a puddle in front of us. There is a puddle. Uh, I don't see any trout in the puddle. No, there's no fish in there. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we just came out of a little hike in the woods here, and we're kind of up on a hill. And overlooking, we're overlooking a couple of dry river beds here. You were explaining to me what all these trees laying down here were. Yeah, so we're on a little uh, raised knoll right here coming out of this hiking trail and affords us our first view of the actual riverbed. And it's off in the distance over there. And before you can see the riverbed, there's actually two or three kind of uh, fake riverbeds where maybe some water, we had some really heavy rains earlier this spring, kind of eroded some channels. But right in front of us is a bunch of uh, logs and you can see that they were actually placed there um, purposely. Well, it looks like there's a stand of like about eight trees that were all cut down in exactly the same pattern and then yep. logs laid kind of an X pattern around those those stumps. Combination of logs, uh, some medium-sized boulders and stumps and the, the goal of this was to uh, keep sediment from going into the riverbank. So in the springs or anytime you get a heavy rainstorm, water comes off these hills, some very steep hills around us quickly, and it's, it washes the sediment from the old road into the riverbed. So the channel is always changing. Well, if we can get the water to filter out this, uh, all, this, all these logs and things, we'll filter out the sediment as the water goes towards the river. Uh, only the clean water will get to the river and the sediment will be left behind. So that's that's the goal, to get this to act as a filter. And um, yeah, I mean, right now we also see some trees that look like they are toppling over naturally into the river. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing because that's the way, f you know, these rivers have traditionally been. They've had mature forests on their edge, rain comes in, erodes them, 
the trees fall in, creates trout habitat. Eventually they get washed away by new storms. And the riverbed's always changing, but you always have, uh, you know, trout habitat being built into it versus if you clear the forest from their edge, which is what logging did in the turn of the century, the heavy rains just erode the, the, uh, the ground around it and the, the rivers get straighter, uh, shallower, uh, and they're just they don't support trout like they would otherwise yeah and I should say too is from our vantage point now we can actually see the river which is exciting and it is fall just about fall now and brook trout theoretically should be staging up for the fall spawn and run so theoretically they're going to be eating right in theory yes in theory <laughs> uh, what's nice today is a trophy fish is going to be like four inches long I think total win if, if we catch any sort of brook trout that is the win here yes so all right, let's go do it. Okay. We've been hiking for like 17 miles. <laughs> We're both winded, both hot tired, hungry. So far we found no fishable waters. We're naked and afraid. Somehow Clay is taking off all his clothes. <laughs> Old habits are hard to break. But we're coming up at the bottom of a uh, big steep hill. Theoretically, the river would pool up down here, create a little hole, and hopefully some habitat. And this is this is the kind of adventure that I love because we've been walking this pretty quiet mountain stream that doesn't look like there's a lot of trout habitat. And if there's a spot where there is. I think we're coming onto it, and hopefully this will be worth our while. And there's all these great little uh, mountain bridges and hiking trails and culverts and man-made log piles everywhere. It's, it's really a beautiful hike. It's a stunning day, and we're coming up on what should be a pool. The big pool here. Wow. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is our only hope here. <laughs> so we're going to climb down this hill here and make some casts and... See if we can't find a little pool that has a little bit of fish in it. This is uh, okay, so sad. It's a little bit sad. It's a little bit gravelly, not quite as root-waddy as, as I had hoped. It would be root-waddy if there was water in it. The root wads are now about three feet above the water. <laughs> um, pretty. There's not a lot of shelter right here. Maybe we hike back down. Because there are, there are some spots with some deep root-wad pools that I think we're going to find a fish in. It's just not this one. And this is, this is part of the adventure, Clay. It's... Knowing when to say no, mm -hmm. ad admit defeat. Okay, so we are in Tunnel Brook. We found a tiny pool where two different rivers combine. And with our eyes, we saw a little brook trout. Right, Chris? <laughs> yeah, it was. I thought it, you were kidding at first, but the water here is so clear. It's like, it's gin clear. It's... uh and it's this pool actually is kind of funny because it doesn't seem to really be made by by uh, woody debris although there is kind of some wood up ahead this is mostly just uh, a, a rocky pool right here the max depth is probably we, we say pool but it's what probably a foot deep two I, feet deep I would say a foot in the deepest hole here so but that was probably that wasn't a big brook trout but that was a trophy for this stream probably what four inches five inches at the most I, I got him at about eight inches um, but he, he did hit uh, he did hit my spinner. So we're going to switch up to some flies here and see if we can't get him. So stay with us.
We've identified a fish, as you've heard, and he won't eat anything we're throwing. Chris is going to try the caddis nymph on his fly rod and see if he can't make something happen. But I can see the fish with my eyes, so we should be able to get him. Get him, Chris. What are you, what are you trying? A little panther martin. That usually does good. Here's my here's my fish my fish psychology at work, which that's, is that's, a, that's cast master, which is pretty flawed. Uh, Places as a cast master, but my fish psychology is this: the lure represents food, but it also represents another fish. So if this guy's territorial because this is he's the alpha and this is his pool, he'll be aggressive towards it whether he wants to eat it or not. So and he's the only fish here, so we can see everything in this pool and we can see him directly. So I'm gonna, try, I'm gonna try to set this camera up. Okay, so here's what's happening. Chris is making a cast with his giant cast master, looking for this trout. He's holding his rod upside down, reeling it in. I don't see the fish anymore, but we're not giving up hope. Chris, what's your, uh, what's your theory here on why he's not eating? Uh, I think he's just, he's smart. Wild fish are smart. And he can, he, it looks like several times he's darted towards what you've thrown at him. He's checking it out. He's agitated, he's aggressive, he wants to eat it, but he's just making 100% sure he's not going to end up in our dinner plate. And by the way, 100% sure he's not going to end on our plate. We are going to release this fish if we catch it. Probably. After we lick him. And we're going to totally lick him. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so fishing conundrum. We've been throwing different lures, worms, flies at this fish here for about 25 minutes. We can see him. He's hiding under a rock now. He doesn't seem to be interested in us anymore. Do we travel downstream more and look for more fish, or do we stick it out in this pool until he gets so pissed off he bites? What do you think? Well, it's, it's, uh, we know there's a fish in here. Mm -hmm. So that it's hard to leave a spot where you know there's a fish. Um, I'm I, and it becomes kind of like a quest. You want to catch this guy. Um, mm -hmm. To teach him but a lesson. To, to teach him a lesson to show him who's boss. Right now, he's boss. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's a very smart fish because he's survived, apparently, a summer in this tiny little pool. He's got great survival skills. So, And just to describe the pool, us right we're now. describing the pool. It's maximum width across is about 10 feet. Um, it gets down to about 3 feet on each end. There's uh, two streams coming into it. And, again, we said earlier, maximum depth, depth maybe a foot. And he's hiding under a, uh, a little boulder that's about two feet across. Very clear water, very oxygenated. You've got this uh, little waterfall heading into the stream, but uh, heading into the pool. And we would have probably walked by here and said, there's no fish in here if we hadn't actually seen him. Because every once in a while he disappears and you can't find him anywhere in the pool. And there looks like there's no hiding spots, but he has these little caves under these rocks that he hides out in. Totally cool to watch. And we'll see if we get him. You hear that, Chris? That's the sound of defeat. <laughs> <laughs> temporary, temporary. The fish defeat is... You know, I was thinking about that fish and how different he is from a, a stocked fish who spent his entire life... In, well, he, and he may very well be a stocked fish, but he's smart enough that he survived at least a summer in that isolated little pool. Or well, you know, wasn't that, wasn't that isolated, Chris? What, what do we see around that pool? What do we see around the pool? Well, I mean, he can get up and forth in the in the... 
in the riverbed. But again, his pool, quote unquote, was what, a foot, two feet deep. So there's not a lot of place for him to travel. No, but he wasn't isolated. I mean, people have been fishing there and camping there all summer. Right, right. But anyway, he is a survivor, and his his <laughs> his, his mentality has got to be a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure all hatchery fish are born with the instinct that people are bad. But then, when your entire life, uh, your experience is, is has been contradicted by people feeding you nonstop you probably lose some of that instinct and you're like, okay, people aren't that bad. This guy, we were a hundred percent bad in his eyes. He didn't have any patience for us whatsoever. He was pissed off that we were there. He was swinging giant circles, darting all the places. And he finally he hit under a rock and we never saw him again. So I'm, now I'm kind of sad about hatchery fish and how kind of mentally messed up they are. Their instincts being contradicted by experience. Well, the other thing too with hatchery fish is, you know, you're breeding thousands and thousands of them. And there's no elimination for different genetic differences or markers that might make them get eaten fast. So sometimes you, they release these big giant cows that are just like that, just big giant cows. They release them and they don't know what to do but eat and they just eat whatever you put in front of them and totally fun. But man, this fish is work. Yeah, and that this is, again, the fishing experience that I love. It's like catching this one fish that when the fish says, you can't catch me. Yeah, so me, me, I want to catch fish all day. I don't care. <laughs> so we're going to move on downstream here and see if we can't do any better. And, of course, we'll report back. We have a little bit of success here. I've got a little brook trout par on my line here. Nice little wild fish. Let's see if I can... Anyway, I just landed him. He's a little tiny guy. He's about three and a half to four inches long. Beautiful little fish. I'm betting a wild guy. I'm going to take some pictures, and we're going to let him go. Hey, Chris. Okay, so that little brook trout, I uh, released him safely. He swam away. He was very happy. Um, I, I wanted to let him go as fast as I could. He appeared to be a little wild fish. Uh, we caught him in about... Six inches of water, piece of stream that was about four feet across, right below a little waterfall. So this is exciting. We got fish. We, you got a fish. I haven't gotten one yet. That was a team fish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to it. Okay, so we're, we're still at Tunnel Brook. We've been taking a little walk here downstream. We've hooked a couple little, very little baby brook trout, and they seem to like worms. I think most trout do like worms. What doesn't like worms? Everything right? likes worms. Delicious. But this is the fun part. I love exploring little creeks like this and, and finding these these pools. And like you said, they, they seem to be right below uh, currents, right below little mini waterfalls, where it's probably a little, water's a little cooler, a little more oxygenated, and a little deeper. Yeah, but it's nice to see this hat because you don't see rivers like this a lot with overhangs where the river kind of goes under an embankment a little bit. Yeah, we're having to climb over a significant amount of trees and down little cliffs and all the things you love about fishing. Yes. This yeah. is well, this is how streams should be natively in New Hampshire. This is how they were. So it's kind of nice to to go back in time a little bit and see how brook trout actually lived. Yeah, I bet you uh, this would be a great spot for tenkara fishing. 
Uh, I don't think there's any good spot for Tinker. <laughs> All right. Okay, so here we are after the last big pool by the bridge at Tunnel Brook. Chris is trying to get some video together. It's really deep here. This is the first deep water we found. This is a place we could have just stopped here and fished in the beginning. Uh, and it looks to be like 6 to 10 feet deep here after miles and miles of super shallow water. So theoretically, there should be some big brook trout sitting here on the bottom. Chris is going to make a few casts if he ever gets his camera set up. Uh, and then I'm going to catch the fish because he's terrible at it. Terrible. Chris, what are you doing? He's been setting his camera up for 35 minutes now. We're about to be late for lunch. It's going to be terrible. You know, he, some people use tripods. Chris likes to pile rocks up on a stick and balance things very peculiarly in a very special way. So stay tuned. Okay, so here we are making a mess at Tunnel Brook. Closing up our adventure here with a modicum of success. We've seen a whole bunch of fish, caught two little brook trout, saw one decent sized one, but uh, I would say a Tunnel Brook experiment is a solid win for us on this uh, return to Tunnel Brook. We'll be wrapping this up shortly here as soon as we climb out of the riverbed. Thanks for playing. Okay, so we're going to call it a success. We caught, I think, a total of three fish. Uh, or Clay caught a total of three, two fish. I caught two fish at Tunnel Brook, and we saw that one monster there, and then we and then we caught a third fish somewhere else. And in the end, it was exactly as I hoped. This was a major success. We found a lot of uh, trout habitat that you don't see often in New Hampshire anymore. Rivers flowing under over overbanks. Um, is that even a word, an overbank? Uh, it is now. It's overbank. It's a compound word. There's, there's structure, there is shelter, and there was clean, clean water. Uh, nice thing is I think the work that the Forest Service has done is doing its job keeping the sediment out of the riverbed because that was some, some beautiful looking water right there. The strange thing is after we hiked all the way down in the riverbed, catching a few little brook trout here and there, all this structure and habitat, we got to a spot where there was a really deep hole that's like nine feet deep or something, and a huge, huge area, and we thought, perfect, we're gonna catch a whole bunch of fish right there. Yep. No, we, we didn't catch any fish right there. Uh, the fish that we caught, or mostly you know, you caught, were in these small little pools, and, and this goes to the, the, the example, whenever you say, oh, there's no fish in here, there usually are, you're just not seeing them. The little pool that we first, we saw, we saw the bigger fish in, we would have walked by that a thousand times and looked at it for a few minutes and said, there's no fish in here. But that guy was there. He just was, he was an excellent hider. So it kind of makes it always, it's maybe it's always worth taking a few casts and, yeah. and seeing what happens. And what I was shocked by today was how quickly the fish went under the rocks. Like, and this big fish went in this tiny cave and just disappeared. And it's remarkable. It is. Their survival instincts are incredible. And they, ha they have to be to, to get through a summer in those environments to avoid uh, other anglers, but predators and... Uh, they know how to survive in those environments. And it's really cool to see what, what these fish are living in. And we're talking about pools that are like three feet wide and, you know, two feet deep. And here's what we think are, are wild brook trout. 
That's right. We're at yeah. Did we say we're actually at the uh, we're at the Beaver Bar <laughs> at the Woodstock Station, which is my favorite little place in the uh, western side of the White Mountains. The perfect way to end a, a fishing day, successful fishing day. And this is the Fish Nerds Podcast, and we actually have apparently uh, fans who are listening to our conversation. Fans. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't like fish, right? So yeah, you hear a fishing you hear a fishing story. You, you want to be part of the conversation. What is your name? Kurt. Kurt. I'm Clay, and this is Chris. Hi. How you doing? Nice to meet you, Kurt. And, and t- please tell me you hurt your arm in a fishing accident. No, surgery. surgery. I wish it was. You need to make up better stories. Yeah, fishing <laughs> elbow, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, surgery? Yeah. Or something. Now, do you, do you fish? Oh, yeah. Uh, what's your favorite species in the White Mountains? Trout. trout. Brook trout, specifically? Brook trout, yeah. So Where is the secret fish? spot around here? I don't tell anybody. <laughs> we, we were just fishing up in Tunnel Brook. They just did a lot of restoration work on that habitat, and we were catching the wild fish. I like the Baker River, you know. When I was listening to you talking about the fish and the cover and everything, I remember a time I took a wetsuit and I went down and I went underneath the rock and I just watched the trout come in and out and just swim there and then they just dart out to grab a piece of food and go back, you know, and I just remember that all the time, you know, the water's so cold though. The fish, the, 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 uh, the point of the story is the fish are always there, you just don't see them. Yeah. Right. You know, it's funny, incidentally, I did a lot of, back in, like, 10 years ago, I did a lot of electric shocking with the Fish and Game Department here in New Hampshire, and right here uh, on the river here, this is the Pemajawasset, we did shocking back there, and we would electrofish the river, and we were amazed how many fish lived, again, in those, where there should be nothing. You get four or five big trout, a bunch of suckers, a bunch of fall fish, all kinds of really cool things. It's really amazing what you can see, you know. Being under the water, too, is really interesting. Yeah. We used to do some river snorkeling, too, which is always a, always a ton of fun. But what's your best technique technique for brook trout? I just float a worm. That's what was working today, too. And on the way back, we stopped at Beaver Pond, just down the street here. And uh, I, I, you chucked your spin, spinning gear for a while, and I put a worm in, and in like three seconds, I had a, I had a nice, nicely stocked brook trout there. And Clay, of course, uh, got checked by New Hampshire Fishing Game. Just really nice fellow. We're glad you didn't get arrested, Clay. I know. I didn't have my license on me, so he's like <laughs> taking my name down. I'm like, oh, crap. You know. Where'd you buy it at? Yeah. yeah. So Clay always, he, he, we both buy our New Hampshire Fishing Game licenses uh, electronically. I actually usually print mine out, which was good today because I could show him. Uh, Clay always leaves his on his phone, and of course his, his iOS updated overnight, and he can't access his phone so print it out sign it have it ready make their job easier because they're really nice well the hard thing too is i'm a fishing guide like i should be the one who has all the stuff i'm a licensed guide it doesn't make sense for me not to have my stuff ready and it's a little embarrassing so do you ever get busted no i've seen some people get busted in alaska i've fished uh salmon in alaska and uh there are little girls with pigtails carrying a fly rod running across the banks that work for the fishing game. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. They just, you know, you can't hook the fish. You know, they have to be caught in the mouth or you have to release them, you know. And uh, it's pretty wild doing that. Yeah, my parents used to live there. They talked about people snagging fish all the time. And totally, yeah. that's illegal in New Hampshire too, by the way. So. Uh, 2006, I went with my boss. We had to do some work up there. And... Uh, I was showing him where the waterfall was where the salmon jump. And when we left, uh, they had three native people face down on the ground in handcuffs. They had little sticks with a big hook on the end and a string. And uh, they had like eight fish there and they busted them. You know? And it was strange because it was the military personnel who did it. 
Yeah, well, it, it, they're just so protective up there, and they kind of have to be. It's one of those last like remaining wild areas we still have, and yeah. so they need to look out for it. So let's wrap this up. We're almost out of battery. Nice you. Say your name again. Kurt. Kurt. Nice, nice to meet you, Kurt. I'm Clay again. Right. That's Chris. We'll talk in a minute. No worries. So let's wrap this up. We're at the Woodstock Brewery. And we're celebrating. celebrating our double IPAs. We ordered a five ninety nine chicken sandwich. Yes, yeah, we uh, uh, an inexpensive and delicious beer. And uh, it, all in all, this has been a great day. As as we were driving here, I'm like, we're both fortunate. We live up here in the White Mountains, and we didn't as children. And uh, I kind of aspired to that. And I just driving here today, I was like, this is this is it. I don't doesn't matter. What else I do in life, I've accomplished my goals. Right, you live in a great area with some beautiful habitat, great fishing, good mountains. All the things are here. All we need to do is get rich, and then we can really, truly enjoy it. <laughs> yes. Working is overrated, for sure. Where can people find your work, Chris? My work? Uh, you can go to BorealisProductions.com. Also, check out the uh, TV station White Mountains TV, which is at WhiteMountains.tv. And uh, also on the Fish Nerds podcast, apparently. Yeah, and links, of course, at fishnerds.com. All right, let's eat some food. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of Fish Nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on Fishing Quest, and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. If you would like to support the Fish Nerds, you can go to patreon.com and search for Fish Nerds and help us crowdfund this podcast. Special thanks to Chris Brew of Borealis Productions. And until the next time, I'm going to feel dirty reading this. Follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn <laughs> early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. Swim against the current every chance you get. Recording. This is podcast number 160-something, Chris Prue. 160-something, wow. All right, so I got a little script here, but that's just for me. Okay. All right? Until the end. Then there's a script at the end we have to read together. All right? We have to read together. Read it together. All right. Hold hands while we say it. We can snuggle. Okay, because you can, you can, I know you can edit this, but will you edit this? I do edit. question. Yeah. Because I'm going to be, I'm going to be rough, I think. You'll be fine. Okay. Uh, three, two, three.